Welcome to This Story Matters. Each episode, we visit with people just like you who have walked through events that have grown their faith, transformed their families, drawn them closer to Christ, and refreshed their outlook on life. We believe sharing a testimony can build up others, and that is why this story matters. This episode is presented by Beatles Property Maintenance, Certified Mold Remediation Specialist in Springfield, Missouri. Online at BeatlesPM.com. Welcome to our podcast, This Story Matters. We're continuing to share the goodness of God and what He has done in the lives of people all over. And today I have a guest with me, Shana Ballard. Thank you for joining me. You are a teacher and a pastor's wife. I am. And I think those are probably two of the most difficult and thankless jobs that are out there. So I want to visit with you today about how you found yourself in these places, realizing that they're both very much a ministry, how you've seen God work in these these careers that you have, these occupations, and then also you know, how we can love the teachers and the pastor's wives that we each have in our lives. But before we go any further, I would like to open with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we're so grateful that we have opportunity after opportunity to speak of your goodness and how you are working every single day in the lives of every one of us. Sometimes it's hard to see. Sometimes we struggle. But Lord, I would just ask that Holy Spirit would come into this room right now, that you would open up the words, that you would open up hearts and minds, and that every word that is said during this episode would glorify you, and that you would remind the listeners that you are working in their lives, even if they don't see it or feel it, that you are good and that you love your kids. Lord, we give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's start with the teacher part of this. Okay. Is that what you wanted to be as a kid, like when you were growing it up? Is. Like, Yeah. Yeah. I and, had an awesome elementary music teacher, and I thought she was the greatest thing with the most beautiful singing voice, and that's what I wanted to do with my life. So dream accomplished. Yes. Um, how long have you been teaching? This is my 15th year. And it's funny that you're saying teacher and preacher's wife are thankless jobs because in between those years is sandwiched eight years of stay-at-home mom. That's also yes. a thankless job. Yes, All it the is. moms out there sacrificing. So, so that 15 years is, is broken up between a couple uh-huh. of different time periods. Yes. So that must have been difficult having that eight years between because I'm sure there was a lot that changed in the classroom in that eight years. Yes. How do you, and probably from May to August, there are a lot of things that are changing in your classrooms. You taught through the COVID era. I did. (laughs) And I remember, uh, we've been friends for a while, and I remember seeing you post about pushing your cart. Yes. From classroom to classroom. Yes. Like you you were mobile, and that was a challenge for you. But when we look at what teachers are dealing with now post COVID, Mm -hmm. what is the biggest challenge for you? Well, I think that just in general, you know, things have changed as far as our society goes. And so you, you know, post COVID, we had a lot of people who chose to homeschool or chose to pull their kids out just for that post COVID year where there were a lot of 
you know, quarantining and that kind of thing going on. And in that time period, a lot of kids lost some academic progress and now they're back in public school and we're trying to catch them up. So that's hard. Um, you know, and just the isolation of everybody being at home for so long. Um, it's just the interaction feels a little different now. Some kids, you know, like our little kindergartners, they they were itty bitty when this happened. And so a lot of their lives has been, you know, there were masks and there were less interaction with people they didn't know and things like that. And it just it changed the way that they are socially, I think. So, you know, as we spend a lot of time teaching them social skills and and just how to be kind and loving and good friends and that kind of thing. And that's always something we've taught, but it's just different post-COVID. A different level. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see your job as a teacher as a ministry, even though you're in a public school? Yes, absolutely. I mean, for one thing, you can't separate it. Jesus goes with you wherever you go. And so as a believer, he is with me. He goes before me each day and he is with me in the classroom. And there, you know, it's not like I'm standing up reading scripture in the public school classroom, but, you know, I do believe that the kids know that there's a different kind of love there that they feel than maybe some other environments, you know, and they, um, I can, I feel like I can give them a certain peace and compassion that they need, a, a stability in their lives that they need, because as I'm dealing with a kid, even a kid who's maybe having a problem that day in my room, I'm praying. I'm praying, Lord, help me, help me to deal with them in a way that honors you and shows your love to them. Help me to treat them well, you know? So yes, it, you can't (laughs) separate the two. Through the changes you've seen in the classroom and the changes in society, kids are just different than they were when you were in that classroom with that music teacher that you loved so much. Yes. How has God sustained you and provided for you? I know I feel him with me every single day, you know, and we, we can't predict the future, but God, he he doesn't just know the future. He's already in the future. He's already there solving those problems before we get there. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't, I can't anticipate what, how society is going to change and how, what kids are coming into my room, but, um, the spirit is with me, helping me. And I think, you know, that's just, that's a, that's a source of strength that, um, it's a tiring job. I'm physically tired a lot, but, um, but that's a source of strength, even in that tiredness to, to rely on the Lord and and just ask him for help, just day to day help. I think a lot of the people I know that have gone into public education to be teachers, to be administrators, went in knowing that there are also rewards. There are a lot of teachers that are stepping away. Are the rewards still there? Oh, yeah. Yes, the rewards are definitely still there. I mean, I think it's hard, and you do hear about a lot about teachers stepping away, but I don't think it's as bad as, as it's made out to be in, in like the news. I don't think there are as many, um, statistically there are that many teachers falling away, I guess, and, and stepping away from teaching, but there's still a core group of people who are there for the right reasons and love kids and, um, want 
better for kids and want to instill good values in, in children. And especially here in the Midwest and in, in my world of teaching, a lot of us love the Lord and, and are there out of a sense of calling, not just a job. You know, it's a calling. And I don't think you can step away from your calling until the Lord redirects Releases your steps. you from it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now let's look at the, the pastor's wife portion of this. Um, you and your husband were youth pastors. And then God called you and you planted, not just like became lead pastors, like you planted the church. <laughs> from the ground up, yes. That is, if you know anything about church planting, which I know just enough to be dangerous, <laughs> that's a big deal. So you're, were you a stay-at-home mom at that time or were you teaching when I, you guys decided? to teaching. Yeah. So um, you're being pulled a different direction because you're a mom to three kids at the mm -hmm. same time. Yeah. So that's a, a lot of different. So walk us through meeting your husband. Did, did you always know or at what point did you know, oh, I'm God wants me to be a pastor? Because I've talked to some women who have known, mm -hmm. like I'm going to be in the ministry and God is going to put me alongside a man and we're going to do this together. What's your story? I actually did. Yeah. So as a teenager, um, I was totally devoted to the Lord and um, loved him, seeking his his call on my life. And I did feel like I was probably called to be. I'm a pastor's kid, so I should have known better, really. <laughs> but um, but no, I, I knew this is what God has called me to do. Um, and Chris and I met in um, college. We both went to Southwest Baptist University, and um, he wanted to go into business with his dad. He wanted to be a fisherman. His dad traveled all over the world. He was a travel agent for fishermen. They went to all these South American, Central American countries. I mean, how fun is that? Yeah, you know? who wouldn't want to do who that? Who wouldn't want to go fishing in Brazil and Venezuela and whatever? But um, so I, I knew I was supposed to be dating him. I knew that relationship was right and good, but... He kept talking about going into business with his dad. And I thought, geez, man, what? I don't know, Lord. Like, I'm just not going to, I mean, I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I know, I know I'm supposed to be dating him. I know that's, that part's right. And he, um, he kept getting called into ministry unintentionally. So, um, the first summer that we were dating, he ended up being a, um, a, like a summer intern for a youth ministry. Um, and then the next summer, he was supposed to go back and um, that I'm trying to remember what the timetable was. It was either, I think it was that summer that youth pastor, he was also the worship pastor ended up taking a church somewhere else and they asked him to step in as interim. So now he's worship pastor, youth pastor and college student all in, all in wow. one. <laughs> and, um, and by the end of that summer, he called me as if he had this big revelation I think the Lord is calling me into ministry. And I was like, yep, <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> so um, I was super thankful we were finally on the same page. Um, so then we were just really happy in youth ministry. He he went and talked to his pastor. He said, do you want to do worship ministry or do you want to do youth ministry? And he said, I think I, think I want to do student ministry. And we did that for 18 years. We loved it. I had... Um, girls in my home weekly that I was pouring into and living life with. And I was completely content with that. And he just kept talking about planning a church and that, you know, this, well, it came to, towards the end. Well, this might be my last, you know, stop in, in student ministry. And 
I finally looked at him one day and said, listen, (laughs) I don't want to be the pastor's wife. I like the student ministry gig. I don't want to be the pastor's wife. So if God wants you to do that, he's going to have to change your wife's heart. (laughs) And he was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Well, um, over the course of the next year, so this was 2014, he did begin to change my heart. And I just became, I wouldn't say discontent, but just God was shifting things where I was ready for the next thing. And I remember by November of 2014, I was just a kind of a mess, emotional all the time about it. And he said, well, what do you want one night? And I said, well, I don't know. I want to be, I want to be in ministry and I want to serve women, which was a shift because I'd been with girls, not, not adults. Um, And then over the course of the next couple of months, everything changed and he stepped away from student ministry. He did, he actually did sales for a year while we were seeking funding and building this core group to, to be able to plant a church. It started with he and I in our living room saying, okay, God, um, I know you want this. Now what, now what do we do? And it was literally a now what, now what, now what for every step of the way. And we launched in, um, Fall of 2016 is when we officially launched and had, you know, our core group of people. And I mean, it was the most organic thing. And we've just every step of the way. Okay, now we need um, a worship pastor. Now we need a a children's pastor. Lord, what do you want next? (laughs) Now what? (laughs) You know, and we're still just I feel like we're still saying now what? Now what, Lord? Now what do you want? And I mean, maybe we just maybe that needs to always be our MO. Lord, now what? I'm willing, you know. But I think that's a good one. Well, let's talk a little bit about the church, Story Church mm-hmm. in Rogersville. In Rogersville. Um, and you started in your living room with just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And now I know a little bit of the story. But if you want to just do the 30,000 foot flyover, you all have a building. And we it did. kind of all happened miraculously. It really did. So um, we, the first question people ask you when you are going to plan a church, well, where's it going to be? And we couldn't answer that at first. Um, I don't know. We don't know where it's going to be. Well, you need a building. Well, maybe, or do we? You know, and there was just a lot of kind of rethinking church and what does God want this to look like? Um, and Chris didn't want to have a building. Um, he he had a real, at the time, a real burden for driving by church building after church building um, that are sitting empty the other six days of the week. And he just thought, that's that's such a waste of resources. I, I don't want to do that. That's not what God's calling us to. Um, and so, you know, we began seeking out maybe like the idea of a shared space or something of that nature. Um, and the way it all came about was um, we, and he ended up having a meeting with a friend. Well, actually someone he had just met for lunch. And that day he closed on Jamestown Plaza, which is, now our building. Um, and they just felt like the Lord is in this and this is what needs to happen. So we actually leased from him for a while and it served so many purposes because it was a multi-use building. There was an event center, um, the other six days of the week out of art where we worship. Um, and then Chris just began to sit in chamber meeting or chamber of commerce meetings in Rogersville. We 
really had figured out, okay, Rogersville is the community. We are called to, I mean, I was already working there. He had served there. God, God was keeping us there. So um, sat in those uh, meetings, what does the community need? Because we want to serve the community. Um, and there, at the time, there was no place for like sitting down and having a business meeting with, over coffee. Um, daycare was another one. And that one, the Lord has just continued to close doors. So, you know, we actually thought about that in our space and it hasn't happened. Um, and there were a couple other things, but the, the coffee shop, just that idea began brewing. Haha. <laughs> and, um, and so, you know, as of right now, we also have a coffee shop in our facility and that is our lobby on Sunday mornings and the other six days of the week, it's open to the community. Um, our coffee shop manager is also our worship pastor and his view of ministry is that this is a ministry the other six days of the week. And, you know, people have Bible studies there. People have prayer meetings there. Um, it's a Wi-Fi hotspot for school where kids can come if they don't have internet. That kind of started in 2020 um, as we opened the building that we would be a Wi-Fi location for schoolwork. Um, and just listening to the community's needs, you know, throughout. Um, it was also like a drop-off and pickup center for food distribution during COVID. Um, and then the, the other end is leased. Uh, there's a dentist's office and some office buildings down there. But um, anyway, that's the that's where the Lord has led us. And um, I'm thankful that it's not sitting empty six days a week, but it's it's also, um, I'm, I'm thankful I'm seeing ministry the other six days of the week there too. So you become the pastor's wife. I did. <laughs> um, when I look at my pastor's wife and the ones that I've had in leadership in the churches I've been in growing up, sometimes I look at them and I think, I wonder if it's lonely. It is. Yeah. Um, why? Is it lonely? I have some ideas of why it might be lonely, but I don't want to put put words in your mouth. Um, you know, you you're shepherding the women of the church, but also there's probably like a line there where you can't get too close. Like where where is the difference between being their friend and being their shepherd? Yeah, that's a good question. I um I want to say there isn't a line, but I think it exists in other people's hearts sometimes, you know? Um, but I will say that um, one of the things that we are committed to at our church, one of our core values is authenticity. And that's not something, that's something you choose. It's not something that just happens. So um, from the from the beginning, when we started in 2015, um, the Lord kind of stripped away everything we'd known about church. We were displaced and didn't have a church home for a little while. And during that time, it was like a rethinking, a reevaluating. And one of the conclusions I came to is the world doesn't need more plastic people. Um, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Southern Baptist church and, you know, should go, you go to church on Sunday morning and you put on your Sunday best and you smile. And when people ask, how are you? You say, I'm doing well. How are you? You know, and, and everything's supposed to look just so. And, um, I just, I developed a distaste for that in that process because I thought, you know what, if we're ever really going to reach people in their deepest, darkest hurts, we have to actually know their deepest, darkest hurts. 
We have to be willing to accept how are you isn't just a quick conversation, but it ha- needs to be a real conversation. And if I'm going to do that and expect that from others, I have to do that too. And so vulnerability just became um, something I was committed to. And <laughs> sometimes that's being willing to just be a little embarrassed, but sometimes it's a little deeper than that. You know, it's, it's just kind of, um, putting yourself out there, even when you're thinking, Oh, what are people going to think? Um, but you know, in, in our, so story church launched in 2016, like I said, so we've officially been, you know, open doors or whatever for six or seven years now. It's, the, what I've found in being committed to being vulnerable is the willingness to be honest and open and, hey, I have real problems and the pastor's family is not perfect and we struggle with things. It frees other people up to then be willing and open and honest. The larger the church gets, do you think that's harder? Yes. It's harder because you just can't know that many people. Yeah. You know, you just can't. It's not physically possible. It's it's. Um, it's harder because the bigger your congregation becomes, the just human nature, pe- some people don't stick around. And that one's really hard for me. That one is is a struggle because I want to love people deeply. And if if you are with me, I want you to be with me forever. And so that's one of those hard things about vulnerability and um, authenticity is we want to love you, but we want to love you deeply. We want to really know you. And if we've committed to that with you, it hurts worse when you decide this isn't the church for you, which, I mean, it happens. It's, and sometimes it's for very valid reasons of God calling people other places to do other things. And um, that part of vulnerability and authenticity is tough. And I think the bigger we get, the more of that we probably have. I believe that every church is full of broken people mm-hmm. because I believe that we're all broken. Yes. How is it hard to get someone who's maybe shown up at Story Church who has experienced hurt from people? I don't like to say hurt from the church because uh-huh. God doesn't hurt people. People hurt people. Mm-hmm. So I choose my words carefully with that. But if someone is reluctant to step back into church, because people have hurt them in that space before. How do you, as a pastor's wife, welcome them in, help them feel comfortable? Yeah. One of the things that we um, have been committed to since the beginning, and we seem to have attracted a lot of people with church hurt is the, is the term, but I get, I totally get what you're saying. It's not, it's not, God that's hurting people. It's the people that are in the churches that, that it's hurt just people. easier to blame him for sure. But one of the things that we have consistently done is when people come to us and um, share their pain story, which is highly encouraged because we're, we want, you know, we really do you want gotta to know. know people. Yeah. Then it's kind of a, 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 okay, take your time kind of thing um, where, it sounds like you've really been hurt. We want to walk through that hurt with you. And if that means that you're just coming on Sunday morning for a while and you are not serving somewhere, come sit, heal, take your time. And when you're ready, you know, that has just been a commitment. I think a lot of people 
experience when they come to churches sometimes that people want to plug them into ministries. And I totally understand that side of it because that buy-in is invaluable and yeah. people should and be serving. And you have a need and we have for needs. that too. Yeah. Yes. But some people just need some space to heal, to sit, to be loved on. And sometimes that's ugly. Honestly, sometimes people are hard to love because they're so hurt that, um, you know, they're going to kind of knee jerk reaction if they hear a certain phrase or um, I don't even know how to describe it. A, a phrase that I'm thinking of is like church membership. That mm-hmm. can be a, you know, a kind of a triggering thing for some people um, that kind of, those kind of things can kind of have some walking through that pain again. And you just have to love them through it. And sometimes that's just a lot of prayer and putting your own, personal feelings aside and just seeing them for who God sees them for somebody that really, really needs loved. How can I, and those listening, how can we love our pastor's wives better? How can we show them appreciation? How can we help take away that loneliness? That one stumps me. (laughs) I, I think one thing would be just, just to remember that your pastor's wife is a real person with real needs and real hurts. Um, she might be showing up on Sunday morning, having just had a fight with her husband, just like you, you know, or with her children might've had a hard time in the car with her children on the way to church or whatever. And I think just remembering that and not expecting your pastor's wife to be the one to always be able to pour into everyone else, but maybe your pastor's wife, Need, she's the one that needs a little pouring into sometimes, you know, and just be, just being aware of that. Um, she has needs too. And, um, bef- just befriending her as if she were anybody else in the church with no, like, you know, Oh, I'm the pastor's wife's friend or nothing like that, but just as a real person, genuinely caring for her. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does. I think it does. Cause I think a lot of times we end up putting the pastor's wife up on this pedestal without really meaning to. Yeah. I don't, I never Um, think it's intentional. No, because we love them. We appreciate them. And somehow in that there becomes like you somehow, I think we put up a wall that we never meant to, to put up. Mm -hmm. So I'm just remembering that they need prayer. Like I need prayer. Mm -hmm. Um, They need love. And they don't want to necessarily be treated special, quote unquote. Right. But just like anyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Let's talk about the pastor's wife that might be listening right now that is discouraged, that longs for community of people that understand what she walks through every day, but doesn't have it. I mean, she has community among the women in the church but they don't necessarily understand what she sees mm-hmm. and that she is supporting the pastor every moment of every day right there by his side. For the discouraged pastor's wife, what do you have to give them hope today? Mm-hmm. Um, my first thought is just um, you were called to this as well. Um, and in that, you you need the Lord's help. You, you cannot do it on your own strength. Um, and, you know, in you were talking about loneliness as a pastor's wife and, and feeling like you're on a pedestal. Um, you no, know, 
know, I just kept thinking and preparing for our conversation. I kept thinking about King David um, when he was a little shepherd boy and he was in the field in First Samuel 16. And, you know, they, they go to line up all the brothers to decide who's going to become the next appointed one. And the first one, Eliab, is, you know, tall, dark, and handsome, looks the part. Nope, that's not him. And they go on down the brothers and where, and do you have any other sons? And it's this little shepherd boy out in the field. And he was just out there doing his job, you know? And, and I, to me, that just resonates as a pastor's wife, because a lot of us pastor's wives, we're just out there doing these mundane jobs that nobody knows we're doing. Nobody sees. And just to find comfort in knowing the Lord sees you, um, he doesn't look at outward appearance. He looks at the heart, as First Samuel 16 says. And um, he, he values you even when you don't feel valued by those around you. It's, it's, it's a thankless job for sure, but remembering that the Lord sees you can help you com- comfort you in those lonely times. Um, I would say, you know, find a friend that's not in your congregation as well. It's good to have someone you can go to for prayer to confide in those kinds of things. But even if you don't have that right now in this moment, um, that you have the Lord and he sees your heart. He sees what you're doing that nobody else sees. Um, and you are called and set apart by him in a way that he is watching over you. He's caring for your heart. If you will let him, um, finding that rest in him, instead of looking for that approval from other people in your congregation who are probably going to misunderstand you from time to time. (laughs) Um, But that's, you know, that's not where your peace comes from. It comes from knowing I'm, I'm doing the next right thing that I'm supposed to be doing for you, Lord. And so I'm just going to be busy out here in the field doing my thing. And I'm going to trust you for the rest of my concerns. That's so good. Shana, thank you so much for giving us some time today and kind of pulling back the curtain and letting us see into the life of a public school teacher and a pastor's wife. Um, We're praying for you. Thank you. We're praying for the women that are walking the same paths Mm -hmm. that you're walking. Um, And we know that God's going to meet you there and continue to bless as you surrender to him in your ministries. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Story Matters. Check out the show notes below. We have some different links and some resources available to you related to the topic we covered in this episode. And then be sure to follow and download for more of This Story Matters. If you need prayer, we invite you to call or text our prayer line. It's available 24-7, 365, anytime you could possibly need it. 877-800-7729. We would love to hear the story God has written in your life. Email us with your story at thisstorymatters at thewind.radio.